we'll turn our hearts and our minds to the sermon this morning. And this morning we're going to be talking about a passage of scripture, a story that is very, very popular, very common. It's the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been in church for any time, you've likely heard the Sermon on the Mount. It's, those, it's that, that, that sermon where Jesus says, blessed are the, blessed are the, and then at some point he will say, woe to the. And so we're going to take a look at this sermon from the book of Luke. But today I'm hoping that the Lord grants us some level of fresh perspective in the sense that we will look at this not as just statement of facts or warnings, but we will see it as an encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ, an encouragement for us to pursue or maintain kingdom postures so that we would indeed receive kingdom blessings. Now, a word about that word kingdom. We've talked about this, but it's been a while back when we talk about the kingdom of heaven or when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the rule and reign of God in the life of the believer. So the kingdom of heaven resides wherever there is a person who has submitted their life to the rule and reign or the leading of God in their life. Now, I'm going to use the word kingdom, the words kingdom people, and the words follow of Christ or Christian interchangeably. And the reason I'm able to do that is because you cannot be a follower of Christ or a Christian and not be submitted to the rule and reign of God. Amen? They're one and the same. So when I say kingdom people or Christian or Christ follower throughout this sermon, I'm saying the same thing. But if you will put up that main idea for us, Christy. This is the wrong sermon slides. All right. Well, while we're praying the sermon slides will magically be corrected, all right? And then we'll have the right ones up there, huh? Oh, here it is. It's up there now. Okay, there we go. We didn't even have to, look at that. We got it. We got it. But there it is. Um, So the main idea, what I want us to walk away from in this sermon is this, that kingdom people persevere in kingdom postures and receive kingdom blessings. Amen? Kingdom people persevere in kingdom postures and they receive blessings kingdom blessings. Uh, my goal is not to keep you here very long, um, but as I just learned, the, 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 the uh, uh, Super Bowl is later on, right? Oh, so you can stay longer than Jeff. All right, so don't worry about it. I will not keep us here short. I'll, I'll be sure to fill up all our time today. I'm going to fill it all up. Amen. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. And I haven't worn a suit to preach in so long, but I tell you what, wearing a suit makes you feel a little more preacherly. Makes you, makes you put your hands like this when you preach, you know. So let's see how this goes. But let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 26, and then we'll pray together and then we will jump in. Beginning in verse 17. He, being Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, 
And when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me this morning, friends. God, I thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness towards us. Lord, I'm continually um, reminded of how incredibly just amazing it is that you desire to come down from your lofty throne and be with your people. Um, God, thank you for choosing to be with us this morning. Thank you for being with us in the singing of song and the reading of scripture and the praying of prayers. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with us in a very special way as I endeavor to preach your word. Lord, would you grant me through Holy Spirit, the power of Holy Spirit, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to preach your word with clarity, with conviction. And Lord, would you please bless your word that it would accomplish effectually what you've sent it forth to do in every heart and mind that is present today. Would we be changed, inspired, challenged, encouraged, and above all, Lord, I pray today, Father, that through Holy Spirit, you'd grant that we would be saved, that we would know you and love you, understanding your goodness, understanding the blessing that you have for us in eternity, understanding, O oh Lord God, that it far, far, far outweighs and is far greater than anything we can receive or have on this side of life. Would you make that just abundantly clear in our hearts and our minds this morning? Lord, I pray that you would restrict, bind, and rebuke and remove everything the enemy would try to do to not let your word be received this morning. Have your way. May your name be glorified, O God. And all this we ask. In Jesus' name, giving you the glory, the honor, and all the praise, because indeed you are worthy, our God and our Father, and our great King. Amen and amen. And so, brothers and sisters, whenever I read the Bible, I have to be regularly reminded that the Bible is not a textbook, okay? Uh, one of the things that we are accustomed to with the Bible is that it's written in this very structured way, right? Chapter and verse and numbers. You can quote scriptures by looking at these reference, point, reference points of chapters and verses. But we have to keep in mind that this is a fairly new addition to the scripture, all right? John Calvin, who was a lawyer who thought in terms of chapter and verse and being able to cite things, He's the one who put this into the scripture, who made this, who made it this way. And it's a blessing. It's a good thing. But we have to keep in mind that when the scriptures were written, they were written with very, very specific purposes of communication in mind. 
They were writing to very specific groups of people, um, experiencing very specific circumstances, very specific cultural moments, and they were considering, hey, how can I speak specifically to these people in their situation? And so Luke is one of these gospel writers that at the beginning of his gospel, he tells us very clearly why he's writing. He says, I'm writing in order to give you an orderly account of the things that have happened in the life and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm also writing so that you may be sure of your faith. Right. So the purpose is the reason why Luke is writing is so, hey, you can know the history of this thing, but also that you would continue you would persevere in your faith in this thing. And so when we consider Luke's uh, uh, account of this story of the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to see here that Luke has in mind the encouragement of the Christians to whom he is writing. And these Christians to whom he is writing, they are experiencing a very, very common occurrence in the early church, which is persecution. Okay, Luke is writing fresh off the heels of all that he experienced that we read in the book of Acts. Christians being killed. The Apostle Paul being jailed, about to be killed. Right. uh, Christians being thrown in prison, Christians experiencing all kinds of heinous and terrible things because they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the Christians that the apostle, I mean, excuse me, that the gospel writer Luke is writing to. And so he means to encourage them to persevere in the faith. And so the question I want us to answer as we look in this passage, as we go through this sermon is, how does this passage serve to encourage those early Christians? And by consequence, how can it encourage us in our faith today in the very specific cultural moment we find ourselves now? So these are the this is what I want us to think about as we go through this passage. Now, at first glance. We may assume as we read through this passage that Jesus is speaking about four distinct or four separate groups of people. Right. He mentions the poor. He mentions the hungry. He mentions those who are weeping or sad. And then he mentions those who are hated or persecuted. And you may assume that he's speaking to four different groups of people. But I don't think that's correct specifically because of what Luke tells us about what's going on, right? Luke tells us, beginning in verse 17, he says that there's a ton of people who've come to see Jesus. They've come to see Jesus in order to be healed of their different diseases and spiritual demonic oppression and things of that nature. And they've also come to hear Jesus' teaching. So there's a ton of people here where Jesus is teaching. But Luke tells us very specifically that at one point he turns his eyes to who? His disciples. And so when he gets to saying what we read today, when he addresses these four groups of people, he is speaking collectively to his disciples. And so that his disciples themselves, he's recognizing he's recognizing them as those who are poor, as those who are hungry, as those who are weeping and as those who are hated or persecuted. And so essentially, Jesus is not saying, blessed are you if you are. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry and weeping and hated. 
And so I want us to see here in this passage that Jesus is telling them that the posture of the kingdom person or the disciple or the Christ follower is that they be these four things. Now, here's where I've been gracious to you. I could have preached, Jeff, on all four of these, but I'm just going to preach on two of them this morning. Just the first two, okay? I'm just going to preach on the two postures of being poor and hungry. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, blessed are you who are poor and blessed are you who are hungry. And so what does that mean for us today in 2022? And so I want us to see here, the first is this. Jesus is saying to these disciples, these kingdom people, that kingdom people are poor. Kingdom people are poor. Now, although Luke, although Luke just says poor in his account of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, another gospel writer, he spells it out, spells it out a little bit, and he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And I think the reason why Matthew spells it out a little bit is just for the same reasons that I know that all of our hearts are turning. And while all of our minds are thinking about all the things we got to sell and give up right now, I know I know who we are. It's because he wants us to understand that poverty, physical poverty, is not a necessity in order to be a member of the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is speaking about poverty of spirit. He's speaking about a state of our hearts, poverty of the inner man. And what poverty of spirit means, brothers and sisters, it means a humility that displays dependence on the Lord above anything else. In Psalm chapter 40 and verse 17, David says, he says, Lord, help me because I am poor and needy. And David being a king, we understand that David was not financially or fiscally or physically poor. That's not what David was saying. David was instead referring to his desperate need for the Lord's help in his current circumstance. David was speaking to the fact that he needed God to come in and move in his life in a way that no one or nothing else can, nothing else could. Brothers and sisters, being poor in spirit is the recognition that regardless of what the bank account reads, our ultimate sustenance, our ultimate being cared for comes from the Lord God Almighty. The Lord who ultimately owns all that we have and all that we need. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. It's not about having wealth. It's not about having poverty. But ultimately, poor in spirit, poverty of spirit, asks the question, where does my ultimate dependence lie? To whom and to what am I looking for ultimately to come through for me in this life? That's what poverty of spirit says. The question we ask ourselves to see if we're truly poor in spirit is, do we feel most secure when the bank account is looking good, even if our relationship with God and others is a mess? Do we feel okay 
if we have the things we need in this world and we have no idea of what God has for us in the next? These are questions we can ask ourselves to see if indeed we are poor in spirit. But here I don't want us to miss it. Jesus does tell us about the dangers of wealth and having money. Please don't miss it. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 24, Jesus makes it very clear that it is incredibly hard for a rich man, speaking physically, a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And brothers and sisters, that's because it's very easy to find your comfort and your security in money when you got a lot of it. It is hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do not get it wrong. It is easy to be comfortable when that bank account got a few zeros in it. Amen? And not just zeros, as some of us know. (laughs) It is easy to find comfort. But you know what? It's a little easier to trust in God when he's all you got. But brothers and sisters, here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven, the blessings of eternity are reserved for those who trust in God and all that he has for them above what their bank account reads, above the stock market, above their investments, above the the equity in their home above the cars they drive, above all that this world deems valuable, the blessings of the kingdom are those who say, ultimately, my dependence lies on the Lord. Poverty of spirit, brothers and sisters, means to hold all that we have and desire in this world before the Lord with open palms. To hold them before the Lord and declaring God, you are he who gives and takes away. And either way, it is well with my soul. Because you are good. And your will is good for us. And in this way, brothers and sisters, kingdom people are poor. But not only are kingdom people poor, Jesus goes on in the next verse to say that kingdom people are hungry. Some of you guys can testify to this this morning. Amen. Kingdom people are hungry. Next, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger. And just like poverty in the verse before, Jesus is not speaking primarily about physical hunger here. Okay, Matthew, he spells it out a little bit more. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And hunger in this way refers to the desire to pursue godliness to pursue character, to pursue a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is in accord with the way that God would have his people to live. That is what hunger means. But on the contrary, on the other side, it also means that kingdom people refuse to gratify the desires of their flesh. It means a choosing to be hungry, a choosing to stand with unmet longings and unmet desires until God fulfills them in a way that pleases him. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness entails a choice to let longings remain, to let unmet desires be unmet until God chooses to fulfill them according to his good plan and his good way. 
One of the heartbreaking things I'm seeing in our culture right now, in our specific cultural moment, and I'm speaking specifically about Christians, I'm not talking about the world at large, but Christians, is that those who used to be the most adamantly outright, out front, determined and resolved to trust the Lord in whatever he had for them, are now choosing to find ways to justify and gratify their desires in ways that are clearly, clearly outside of God's goodness for us. You know, I think what has happened is that for a very long time they had these desires and, and there's something about this specific cultural moment that is giving people, Christian people, the freedom to pursue things outside of God's will. And I want to encourage us here at Redeemer, those of you I have a chance to speak to this morning, to understand that God's desires for us as spelled out in his word has not changed. The cultural moment is changing. The cultural moment is making it a little bit more acceptable to kind of waver on, on, on Christian convictions, but understand that God remains the same. God remains the same. Okay? The Christ follower must resolve that the, that the call to follow Jesus is a call to live with unmet desires, to live with unfulfilled longings. To just have certain things not met here, in the here and now. Because we know that what God has for us in eternity is immensely and far greater. We have to come to the same resolution that the Apostle Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, where he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what we see, since what we desire, since what we long for right now is temporary. But since what is unseen is eternal. In other words, brothers and sisters, we remain hungry now because we know that soon and soon enough, God will fill us to overflowing. So brothers and sisters, the kingdom person is hungry. So I ask you, are you hungry this morning? Not for food. I know a lot. I know y'all are. But are you hungry this morning? Do you desire something that is not being fulfilled right now? Or do you desire something that cannot find its fulfillment as long as you're submitting to God and his call on your life? Brothers and sisters, the promise from Jesus, the promise from Jesus is that those of us who trust in him will not hunger forever. The promise from Jesus is that those of us who are seeking to live a life pleasing to him will not have that desire unmet forever. But that one day we will stand before him and he will fill us. He will fill our desires until we want no more. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, the promise of Jesus is that hunger does not last forever. Hold on because Jesus will soon fill us. And we won't even remember when we were hungry on this side. We, don't e we won't even remember hunger. 
trust him. And as I close this morning, I want to take a moment. I didn't didn't preach on it, but I want to take a moment to consider what Jesus says at the end of this passage. The woes that he gives. And woes in scripture just simply mean warning. And at the end, Jesus takes the same ones about being poor and being hungry, the blessedness of being poor and hungry. And he says, woe to you who are rich and woe to you who are well fed now. He says, woe to you who are rich because you've already received your comfort. In other words, there won't be any comfort for you after this. He says, woe to you who are well fed now because you will go hungry after this. And maybe you're here this morning and you hear these and you realize that, you know what? I can't say that I've been hungry, Leon, because in reality, I've been filling myself with everything this world gives to gratify my desires. You're here this morning, you're saying, Leon, I can't say that I've been poor of spirit because the reality is I just hold on to everything that this world gives me and I value it above all else. If that's you this morning, as we turn our hearts and our minds to communion, that's taking of the cracker that represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and drinking of the juice that is his blood shed for us. As we do that, we always take a moment to silently confess sin. And this is an opportunity for you to acknowledge that. Acknowledge that you have not been poor of spirit. You have not held loosely before God the things of this world. You've been clinging to it. You've been looking to it for your security. Acknowledge that you have not been hungry because you're too full. You're too full with the things of this world. To put bluntly, you're too full with, with, with gratifying sinful desires with sinful things. If that you know that this morning at communion, you are invited. You are invited to confess these things to Jesus. And not just that, but to then have Jesus come and fill you with his goodness. You are invited this morning to understand true sustenance, true security. True satisfaction for your hunger. And so as Pastor Drew comes up to lead us in communion, I want you guys to think about these things. This is an invitation. Jesus will not cast you out if you come to him confessing. That is not how he works. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to accept you. He's ready to fill you with more and more of his goodness. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, as... As we turn our hearts and our minds to communion this morning, my prayer, Lord, is that you're making clear to each and every one of us where we've held too tightly to this world, where we've avoided poverty of spirit, the posturing of of kingdom people. Lord, wherever in our life we are too full, Father, because we have not relinquished the things of this world so that you could fill us, indeed, would you help us this day? Help us this day to be convinced of your goodness of the ultimate satisfaction that is ours through you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and there be saved. Empty us and fill us. Lord, I thank you for hearing us. To the glory of your name, amen.